0: Revolt Black News, presented by State Farm. This week in Revolt Black News, we continue to pull for our legend and our brother, DMX. And while we keep lifting him up in our prayers to pull through, we want to hearken back to something that X once said. I was always a winner, but just didn't know it. Now fortunately for us, we've always known it all too well. So we're gonna do our very best to bring that same kind of DMX winning energy and passion and use it to examine our transgender youth because they too are winning and the culture needs to know it. Yeah, there's been all kinds of restrictive, discriminatory laws coming up for our trans siblings. So we're gonna put y'all on to all of it because it's been too much oppression, too much trepidation, and we have so much work to do. Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. Now today we're gonna have a very important conversation about a recent and sweeping wave of legislation that deeply targets and affects our transgender brothers, sisters, and non-binaries. Of course, leading this discussion, we have our own Revolt Black News family, David Johns. David, take it away.
1: Thanks, Ebony. It's David Johns here and I'm the executive director of the National Black Justice Coalition. Now, in case you've missed it, there's a lot going on with anti-transgender legislation. We're going to have an important conversation to break it all down, to talk about what it all means, what its implications are, and more importantly, what we can do about it. Joining me is Tim M. West, poet, author, educator, and managing director of LGBTQ community at Teach for America, and executive director of Glisten, Melanie Willingham-Jaggers. Let's ground this for those who may have just missed all of it. Uh, 2021 has become a record year for anti-trans legislation there have been nearly 100 anti-trans bills introduced in the state legislative session uh, surpassing the 2020 number of a total of 79 and making this year thus far the highest number of anti-trans bills introduced in history texas michigan south carolina mississippi and arkansas are among the worst offenders With Arkansas passing three anti-trans bills in one week. Uh, And for those who don't know, the uh, Arkansas legislation limits access to medical care for trans folks, it allows medical professionals to turn away LGBTQIA people for what they deem non-medical emergencies, and there's a ban for trans girls only uh, playing in scholastic sports. Um, And there might be some who will simply say trans folks have just moved uh, but one question is, where do you go when neighboring states are considering similar legislation? Uh, so there's a lot of ground to cover, and I really want us to begin with why this legislation exists, uh, why so many bills that have been introduced target trans girls specifically, and what the impact and consequences of these nefarious actions mean for our children. Uh, why don't we start with you, Melanie?
2: Yeah, sure thing. Well, thank you uh, for having, having me. i um, super happy to be in this conversation uh, because it's really important. You know, what we're seeing are, like, as you just laid out, are anti-trans bills that are that are attacking children um, on three different um, on three different axes. Right. One is around medical care. One is about inclusion um, in all parts of like, school life. Right. So exclusion. Um, and it's and what we're facing, what, what, young, what these young people are facing is really adults who know better um, looking to make excuses for why it's okay to discriminate against children. Um, So let's be clear about what the stakes are and what the actual problem is. Um, And you know, these folks know better. These folks um, are doing this really for political power, right? What does it mean to take a group of people that you wish didn't exist and take the most vulnerable of of that population and make it hard for them to exist, right? These laws are meant to uh, erase, make difficult, um, and make life not worth living for trans children, right? And these trans children we know are uh, are all of us, right? They are BIPOC, they are um, that's Black and Indigenous and people of color. They are immigrants and children of immigrants. They are our neighbors. They are our nieces and nephews and nibblings, right? These are our kids, um, and this legislation is about exclusion, discrimination, and literally making life not worth living for them. And we should call it for what it is and not accept it. We should be outraged.
1: A new study by the Williams Institute of UCLA School of Law finds that LGBTQ adults experience greater psychological distress and suicidal behavior than older LGBTQ people. Um, what might be missed as we're having conversations about anti-trans legislation or the work required to increase competence and compassion more generally, Tim I mean,
3: I think part of it is a responsiveness to uh, the reality that when we are passing this legislation. Uh, it's a form of invalidation. Uh, it's not just saying we're going to pass laws against transgender kids. It's saying transgender kids don't even exist. Uh, there are already some a uh, couple of hundred kids in Arkansas, for example, that are already amid the process of uh, going through their transitions, and yet legis- legislation was just passed to basically invalidate that, criminalize uh, people that are providing support and assistance not just medical practitioners, but also teachers and educators who want to support these kids. Uh, and so I think that there's just a lot of education needed around trans identity. There's kind of a form of gaslighting where we make the psychological distress and issues of the kids, their problem, instead of looking at the society that has created the conditions for a kid that would otherwise be happy, thriving, which is a great work that NBJC does around uh, looking at thriving instead of just surviving of, of LGBTQ
1: um, And so acknowledging that uh, this conversation is incredibly difficult for people who don't have meaningful, intimate relationships. I didn't say romantic, I said intimate relationships with trans, queer, non-binary, intersex, pansexual, uh, same-gender loving queer people. Um, what, what do you say to parents, Black parents in particular, who don't understand... Why they should be engaged in fighting to ensure that all of our babies are treated fairly and have equal access uh, to participation in sports or in schools? You know,
2: about 200 years ago,
1: Sojourner Truth, um, a person who
2: we look at and admire today, we see her for the brilliant person and contributor to our history and progress forward that she is. Um, She said 200 years ago to a group of people concerned about the civil rights of a group that had heretofore been. Uh, uh, excluded, uh, ain't I a woman, right? Shouldn't I be considered and included in your push, women, feminism, for equality and justice and inclusion? And that's the question being asked here, right? So as a a queer Black person, as a non-binary woman, I understand that queer and trans people are everywhere. I am lucky and blessed to be in meaningful, deep relationships across diverse gender experiences and identities. And what I deeply understand is that trans women are women and trans girls are girls. And it is a, it's is—it's gonna be a moment where history gets to look back at us in this moment to say, what did we choose, right? Did we, were we the folks at that same meeting who to Sojourner, Truth, Sojourner Truth's question answered no, that no, you ain't a woman, right? Or not woman enough to be in with us as we seek our liberation. And I think we have the chance and we have the obligation to get that right this time.
1: I think that's right. My very last question is, what can our viewers do? Um, Are there any resources that you wanna share? Is there a call to action uh, that you wanna offer um, as we think about the totality of this conversation and the work that that lies ahead of us?
2: We need to make it really expensive for these people to do this terrible stuff, right? That's about making noise, it's about calling people and, and registering your disagreement and your disgust. It really is around making uh, making folks understand that our kids, trans kids, particularly kids of color, because this is all this is also so wrapped up in racist assumptions about who is woman or man enough, um, who is the right kind of woman or man or girl or boy. um, We need to make noise, advocate for yourselves and each other, and again make this expensive for people to do. There's going to be places that this stuff wins. What can we do to make sure the people who have made these decisions pay for it? And that they can't keep making laws like this. And that, and that is going to be different in every place that this stuff passes. But we have to really be strategic because they are clear about, um, about what they are trying to do. We need to be just as clear and even more powerful in our connection and our love and our support of each other um, to make sure that when stuff like this happens, that is out of our control, that we are that we are circling up together with our people and we are keeping ourselves and each other safe.
1: Thank you, Tim and Melanie, for joining me in this very important conversation. I can't wait to continue it later in the show, and particularly when we will be joined by one of our brilliant babies, Dylan Hughes. We've got a long way to go, but we're miles ahead of where we once were. We're stepping away for a quick break, and then Ebony will be right back with this week's headline. More Revolt Black News after this.
0: Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Here are this week's headlines. We, of course, want to start with the devastating and grim news of DMX, who has reportedly suffered a heart attack and remains on life support. Now, sources say that all of his children have come to visit him in ICU, where he does remain in critical condition. Now, look, there is a whole lot of unverified information out there, y'all. So all we can do right now is say how much we love DMX and are praying for his recovery. He remains in our strongest prayers. Brother Earl Simmons, DMX, we're pulling for you. Now over to the second week of the Derek Chauvin trial. Minneapolis Police Chief Madaria Arredondo testified giving perspective on whether Chauvin's actions adhered to law enforcement policies. Let's
3: take a look. Do you believe that the defendant followed Departmental Policy 5-304 regarding de-escalation?
4: I absolutely do not agree with that. How so? Um, that action um, is not de-escalation. And when we talk about uh, the framework of our sanctity of life and when we talk about the principles and values that we have, that, that action um, goes contrary to, uh, to what we're taught.
3: As you reflect on Exhibit 17, I must ask you, is this a trained Minneapolis Police Department defensive tactics technique? It is not. Well, we read the uh, departmental policy on neck restraints. Is this a neck restraint?
4: Um, the conscious neck restraint by policy mentions light to moderate pressure. When I look at Exhibit 17, Um, And when I look at the facial expression of of, of Mr. Floyd, that does not appear in any way, shape, or form that that is like to
3: moderate pressure. So is it your belief then that this particular uh, form of restraint, if that's what what we'll call it, uh, uh, in fact, violates departmental policy?
4: I absolutely agree that violates our policy.
0: Also, Dr. Bradford Langenfield, the ER doctor who tended to George Floyd and eventually pronounced him dead, also spoke to the cause of death. Very important. Let's watch.
3: And and doctor, uh, was your leading theory then for the cause of Mr. Floyd's cardiac arrest oxygen oxygen deficiency?
5: That was
2: one of the more likely possibilities. I felt that at the time, based on the information
3: I had, it was more likely than the other possibilities. And, and doctor, is there another name for death by oxygen deficiency? Asphyxia is commonly understood.
0: And in what seems to be even more damning testimony for the defense, an EMT who leads the Minneapolis Police Department's emergency medical responsive training said this, if you don't have a pulse on a person, you immediately start CPR. And if it's a critical situation, You have to do both. Now, we, of course, are all too painfully aware that none of this was done for Brother George Floyd. Now, in some other news, the MLB has officially moved their all-star game to Colorado in response to Georgia's discriminatory recent restrictive voter laws. Now, earlier this week, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, she gave her opinions on the effectiveness of boycotts throughout history. Let's watch.
6: We know that uh, boycotts have um, allowed for justice to be uh, delivered in in many spaces. the The civil rights movement was rooted in in boycotts. Uh, we know that you know, uh, apartheid uh, ended in South Africa because of boycotts. Uh, and so our hope uh, is that you know this boycott uh, will result in changes in the law because we understand that when you restrict, uh, people's ability to vote, um, you create a democracy that isn't fully functioning for all of us. And if we are to continue to be uh, a beacon of hope for all democracies around the world, uh, we must stand our
0: ground. Also, Georgia native Sister Stacey Abrams, she gave a statement on the matter, and she had a bit of a different point of view. Stacey Abrams says this, I respect boycotts, although I don't want to see Georgia families hurt by lost events and jobs. Georgians targeted by voter suppression will be hurt as opportunities go to other states. We should not abandon the victims of GOP malice and lies. We must stand together. Now, over in international news, gunmen in southeastern Nigeria engaged in a shoot with prison guards and used explosive on prison gates, leading to the escape of 1,900 inmates. Now, no group has officially taken responsibility yet, but the Nigerian inspector general is putting blame on the Eastern Security Network. That's a paramilitary separatist organization. And over back in sports news, ESPN has parted company with Paul Pierce. This happened after the retired NBA All-Star posted an IG Live video showing him dancing and partying with exotic dancers. Now, Paul was a regular contributor for the ESPN show's NBA Countdown and The Jump. Now, jumping over to college sports. Both men and women's NCAA March Madness tournaments wrapped up this weekend with a whole lot of excitement. In the women's championship, the number one seed, Stanford, beat Arizona by just one point. And on the men's side, the number three seed, Baylor, huge upset for number one, Gonzaga Bulldogs, who, by the way, went undefeated all season, but they took that L And an 86-70 victory by Baylor. Congratulations to the champions. And President Joe Biden, he has announced that the COVID-19 vaccine will be open to any and all available U.S. adults, ages 16 and up, starting April 19th. Now this, of course, is ahead of schedule for the earlier predicted deadline when the administration first thought that date would be May 1st. Also, Dr. Anthony Fauci, he has announced that the federal government will not require vaccine passports for travelers or businesses when post-pandemic travel resumes back to normal. But despite that, Fauci did say that he does believe that independent entities or schools could decide to require the use of vaccine passports. All right, that's it for this week's headlines. Now, we're going to take a quick break, but we've got a whole lot more Revolt Black news after this.
7: as both black and as transgender or trans. And yes, I'm gonna talk to you today about how black trans lives matter. I am at home with myself, my body a sovereign country. Sovereign meaning it is superlative in quality, of the most exalted kind, having generalized curative powers of an unqualified nature unmitigated, paramount, possessed of supreme power, unlimited in extent, absolute, enjoying autonomy, independent, royal. My body defies the restrictions of a society consumed by boxes and binaries, and are you a boy or a girl? Independent of such conventions, my body clings instead to the long-ago Lord that understood its magic. I contain multitudes. From this supreme power to name myself, define myself, and be myself, I stake a claim to myself and organize my resistance, a resistance that boldly proclaims that black trans lives matter. My body is a sovereign country, and my first sight of resistance. End scene.
1: Welcome back to Revolt Black News. It's David Johns continuing the conversation about inclusion and anti-trans legislation. And now I'm joined by Dylan Hughes, a student at San Francisco State University. Dylan's an extremely brave and brilliant trans brother, and we appreciate him joining. Dylan, why don't you go ahead and expand your introduction since you can say it best yourself?
5: Hello, my name is Dylan Hughes. I am a student at SF State. I like to advocate for trans use as well as mental health because there was a point in time where I was very low and there was a I was at a place that I didn't want to be. And when I find when I found a way out, I told myself that at then and that point that I wouldn't wish this on anybody else and that I would help anybody
1: who needed it it pains me that you uh, have to be an advocate at a point in time in which you should be uh, extremely selfish figuring out the ways that you wanna show up in the world. What does it feel like to uh, be living uh, and attempting to thrive at a point in time in which there are so many uh, pieces of anti-trans legislation being introduced across the country? Honestly, I
5: think it's kind of sad that we're at this point to where we have to fight for basic human rights of being treated equally just because we're different. And it's like, you kind of have to ask yourself, why do they look at us differently when we're all one thing and that we're all human? And especially, I think for myself as being youth, I think the scary part is this is what I have to grow into, that this is what I have to accept and normalize and just kind of tell my peers, oh, well, this happens every day kind of thing. And I think that's the sad part of I just want to be able to you know go outside and be able to be like oh yeah I'm trans I'm open about it and fine not have to be scared of oh you know I might get killed or in- or beat up or anything or looked down upon even by like family or friends and I think that's a sad part because with being trans you feel so isolated because not everybody's gonna understand no matter how many times you tell them. Only people that understand are people who are trans themselves because they know the fear they know how alone you feel because of everything that you have to go through just to be yourself and living in a society where you already don't feel accepted just makes it 10 times harder
1: how do you have conversations with other members of our community the black community um, who don't understand um, the trans experience or who don't appreciate that if you advocate for Black lives to matter, then you have to advocate for all of our Black lives to matter. What do you say to them?
5: Well, I kind of say to them is, why are are you so quick to judge? Because, especially if you're a person of color, you understand that we already struggle, that we already have to fight for our lives each and every day, and then we still have to be proud that we are Black or African American and it's like, why are you judging somebody else? We all live in America and we all have the same struggle of fighting against the people in power. So why are we turning against each other when we can all work together to take them out so then we can make a better place for us to live in a safer place so that our kids and their kids can grow up safe and not have to go through the same things that we went through.
1: What do you say to uh, individuals in positions of power, um, to those who are writing this legislation Uh, to people who are vetoing it in spite of of, of people acting on what feels like common sense and uh, morality. Um, What do you say to people in power who are leading with hate rather than with love?
5: We didn't wake up and choose this lifestyle. We didn't wake up, we didn't choose the color of our skin, we didn't choose our gender identity, and we didn't choose our sexuality. You're living the lives we wish we could. We wish we could live in that safety and with that power in our hands. But the thing is, since we didn't wake up to choose this lifestyle, we have to keep pushing ourselves to live it. With your fear that you've imprinted on us with losing people very close to us because we're already having to look at ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves, why is this not enough for them? There were days when, in which I just wish ended because I was tired of it. But I still have to hear your words of, this is what I chose. I didn't choose to wake up in fear. I didn't choose to ask myself, you know, is this what you really want? I didn't choose to have to go through hospital bills and things just to be my true self because my life is already hard enough and I have to accept myself and then deal with the people who aren't accepting me, whether that's my friends or family. So each and every day I'm losing someone. Mm. So if you don't understand, put yourselves through our shoes for a day and you just might.
1: You should be uh, doing nothing else but otherwise pursuing fun and joy and guarding your Black boy joy. What do you hold on to in order to get through?
5: Honestly, the sad thing to say is it's not much that brings joy because it's, it's hard to live with happiness knowing, you know, that not only me, but like my my fellow community has to go through this struggle. And especially in today's world, especially with technology being so advanced, you hear about everything that happens to somebody. Yeah. You know, the basic things that bring me joy is being able to be close to my friends. And the sad part is we all live in places where our lives can be taken any day within minutes. So I enjoy my time with them because, you know, I have to really ask myself, you know, this could be the last for me or them. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, how can we do this for the rest of our lives? How did our parents do this? How's, how did they protect us even? And so now we all just protect each other. So I guess my joy is spending the time that I have with them while I have it.
1: we just gonna end things right there Uh, because you got me in my feelings and crying and real men cry, so that's all right. Um, Dylan, thanks so much for joining and having the courage to live authentically as yourself. We wish you all of the best of luck and, of course, all of the love. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then it's Black excellence in entertainment. More Revolt Black news after this.
8: Gia Peppers here on Revolt Black News, and I'm hosting this week's Black Excellence in Entertainment. And I'm joined once again by none other than one of my fave television personalities and the head GM over Candy Coated ENT, Mr. Don Juan Cl- Clark. Let me get it right. Don Juan Clark, honey, get the first and the last name, is here with me. How are you?
4: Hey, Gia, I'm so glad that we're able to do this again. It's like every time that I see you, I'm like, when can, can we do revolve like this again? Like So I'm super happy we're able to do this again.
8: Yes, I am too. Like we have so much fun. And so I'm so excited that we get to talk about more stories today. And we have to start with the one that has been on all of our timelines the good trailer for after 20 years the much anticipated trailer of space jam the new one just came out so the film is called space jam a new legacy and the trailer is starring lebron james it dropped over the weekend and we noticed a few familiar faces and notable basketball stars like anthony davis ad and diana tarasi and the trailer also revealed that zendaya will voice Lola Bunny, which I am so excited about. The film is set to release in theaters and streaming via HBO Max on July
4: 16th. What
8: did you think of the trailer, and are you looking forward to the film, Dawon?
4: I saw LeBron as, like, the goat that he is when I saw it. It was, like, This is legendary. It was, it was definitely a moment when you watch this trailer that makes you relive your childhood of the first Space Jam, but it's on a different level. You know, the things that we can do in technology now, all of that. Then once I start hearing the voices and to find out Zendaya, who she is on a roll for the last few years, like she is just everywhere and killing it. I thought it was super, super. 2021 futuristic and all of those things but still gave me the childhood nostalgia of space jam
8: it is hard to carry that legacy on but i think they did such a great job and shout out to lebron's company uh, spring hill uh, co who who, you know is how is at the helm of this project because they have it speaking of legacy we have to move on because the first trailer for the much anticipated final season i can't believe it of pose Has been released and it looks like this season will leave a legacy as the cast wanted. So Don Juan, what did you think of the trailer? Did you catch it? What were your initial thoughts?
4: It was surreal and heartbreaking when you see a show that's only been on three seasons and you see these uh, characters who you're starting to really um, follow their journey and all of a sudden you see this and you're like okay it looks like they're gonna have some highs. Obviously it's gonna be some lows but this is gonna be it, but I don't think anyone is gonna leave unsatisfied when they finish, you know, this legacy that the show has left.
8: Just in that moment when watching it, I just felt like, no, not my faves. They can't leave. They're gonna go out with a bang. If there's one thing Pose knows how to do, it's it's getting you right there in the heart, (laughs) And make you live and be happy and dance and sing and also bring you down to reality about some of the same conversations, you know, and movements that started then still need our attention now. So even to bring us back to being true allies to the LGBTQ community within movements and shows like this, like, it's so necessary. And so, like you said, like you said, I'm surely ready and sad for this last season of Pose. Moving on to our next story, because we have so much to talk about. Basketball star, another basketball star, Carmelo Carmelo Anthony, has just launched an inclusive global content company called Creative Seven. So far, Creative Seven is set to work with Will Packer, we all know and love Will, grab Pitt's production company, Plan B, and the producing team behind the hit films Black Klansman and Get Out, which... I mean, if you're talking about two major films of the last decade, those are it, so that's incredible. You think Carmelo slam-dunked his transition into film production? Like, what are your thoughts on this new company?
4: Um, I know that there's a project that I had read about a while ago that they're working on Blood Brothers. I think it's like with the conversation or the friendship between Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. So I think that's going to be a great series. What else are they going to be producing? Because I think they're definitely pushing (laughs) the boundary of content when it comes to um, just creating great content that, uh, like they said, is inclusive of everybody.
8: Shout out to every person who is pivoting and making new moves in their careers as well. And speaking of, New Moves, activist and founder of the Me Too movement and one of my faves, Tarana Burke, and her producing partner, Mervin Marcano, have signed an overall production deal with CBS Studios to develop documentary unscripted and scripted television projects for the CBS TV network as well as the option to sell to third-party streaming. What did you think when you heard that? Because I just can't even. I was
4: like, hold on, so CBS? is going to partner with like the pioneer of the Me Too movement, then this is like the one up, the spade and spades, the uno, like the draw four and uno of any kind of partnership that you can create. Remember, this woman was one of like times, like most influential people. I think her and her production company are going to bring some amazing content. And I do not think that CBS is going to like leave any money, any marketing, anything unturned when it comes to being able to tell the stories for this production company.
8: I just hope they give her the room to spread her wings fully and to say what she wants to say and write what she wants to write if she should write on these projects or bring on people who
4: can write what she means to say. I think it's gonna be some amazing content for sure.
8: Yes, speaking of amazing, you have been amazing. I always love talking and working with you. It always feels like fun.
4: Friends highlighting the excellence in the Black community—that's what this is. I'm super thankful to always be able to do it with you.
8: Same. I will see you next time, Donwanna.
9: Bye. (laughs) Me and you
2: are
8: never (laughs) (laughs) Never (laughs) part. All right, everyone. I am so excited for this next portion of our show because there would be no Black excellence without her, one of the icons that has started and continued to be excellent as an actress, as a host, a singer, a dancer, a mother, so many things. And today she's joining us to talk about her newest project that is so inspiring. Please help me welcome Vanessa Williams to our show.
9: Hi. Hi, how you doing? Thank you for that wonderful intro.
8: (laughs) Thank you. I have been looking up to you for years, so thank you so much for all that you do. Also, I'm a big Lion Babe fan, so thank you for the legacy.
9: For those who don't know, Lion Babe is my middle daughter, Jillian, and uh, she's got a great band. She's, uh, I'm very proud of her, so thank you for loving her music.
8: I love that. I love that.
9: Okay, and so tell me
8: a little bit about why Stand for Change and why it had to happen right now.
9: Well, "Stand for Change" is a music, uh, a song, single, and, and video that uh, I, I helped produce. It came to me because uh, I am uh, actually uh, at the Sternhardt School at NYU, and uh, Phil Galston, who asked me to, uh, you know, be a part of the faculty. He had written a song called "Stand for Change" with another professor called Dave Schroeder, and he said, "Do you think?" Um, Black Theater United would be interested in performing this. It took forever, but I am so happy to produce this amazing video and and song that's on Republic Records. And it came out Mm -hmm. uh, as a single a few weeks back, so we're really proud. But, you know, Black Theater United came together right after the heels of George Floyd, which everybody was, with with the rage, moved to to action, particularly in in the theater space where many of us um, live and had success and see that there is an issue at every level of the theater space. Uh, one of my favorite choices is diversity is a fact, but inclusion sure. is a choice. And that's what you have to make sure that people are ready to include, because belonging is part of the human existence, which we all deserve to be a part of a belonging group. Mm, that is brilliant,
8: brilliant. And, and I am so grateful to you all for doing this. We know so many of your incredible colleagues and co-founders of this movement and moment, um, like Billy Porter and Audra McDonald, have been working for years, as you have. So we want to make sure we can continue to support this. How can we make sure that we are spreading the message of the Black Theater United moment that we're having now far and wide?
9: We appreciate it. You can come visit us at our website if you want to get involved, absolutely. Uh, but we are so happy that Stanford Change is kind of our anthem, which is wonderful. And I hope it gets the word out that we are here for changing, but also join us uh, to help make the change. And also all the Broadway fans can see, as you said, some of their favorites that they've seen for many, many years up on stage together as one reunited uh, and singing for change
8: and we need it. We miss Broadway so much. I can't wait till it's safe enough to open the doors to the theater again. Vanessa, Williams, I can't believe I just spoke to you. Thank you so much for being here with us today. More than anything, we appreciate you and your work, but also all that you and your colleagues are doing with Black Theater United is so necessary. So thank you so much for that. All right, y'all, so we're stepping away and then Ebony returns for a conversation with NYC mayoral candidate Diane Morales. More Revolt Black News after this.
0: All right. Welcome back, y'all. Now, we're going to continue Revolt Black News' New York City Merrill race series. We've got another candidate joining us this week. She's the executive director and CEO of Phipps Neighborhoods in the South Bronx. Welcome to the show, Diane Morales.
6: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, indeed. It's our pleasure to speak with you. So listen, uh, Diane, the New York Daily News has actually described Mm -hmm. you as one of the most progressive candidates in this race. Some examples of that progressivism uh, are your advocacy, for instance, of basic income relief and a municipal green jobs agenda. Um, Can you elaborate on both of those two agenda points and why you think they would really improve Black life uh, in New York?
6: So the campaign just formally rolled out our, um, our green jobs, platform earlier today, so this is perfect timing, you know, I, the, the the entire platform, the, the universal basic income or the guaranteed minimum income and the green jobs platform really aim to address the interconnected harms that have disproportionately targeted communities of color. So, you know, the, the proposal for the platform is that by investing in green, sustainable career pathways, investing in food justice and, and freedom from criminalization, we can end mm. the era of extraction of poverty, of hunger, and mo- mass incarceration that has impacted our communities, and, and that we can light an economic engine that can spread prospe- prosperity to those communities that have left behind, been left behind for too long. Um, and, and similarly, I would say that you know, small businesses, mid sized businesses, which, which um, in my platform are in fact the lifeblood of New York City, as opposed to focusing on lar- large corporations that exploit our labor and extract our wealth
0: instead. Let's talk about the municipal green jobs agenda. Diane, give us a sense as to some of the kinds of examples of jobs that your administration would look to either create or uh, expand.
6: Sure. Um, So, you know, we're we're really talking about investing in um, infrastructure in the city um, and and really um, expanding, uh, creating like a a public employment program that would provide green municipal jobs. Mm -hmm. There are things like um, energy retrofits, right, which is like how we transform the electric grid or how we transform electricity in someone's house. So all of these things Mm -hmm. are connected to electrical practices um, and are actually things that you could be certified for through um, like CUNY programs or other workforce development Mm -hmm. programs that we would actually make available to people from the community. Water quality, for example, which is also a big issue in particular in NYCHA development um, and working on that and community energy Generation. These are all um, things that need to be done in order to get us ready, really, for a sort of environmental sustainability.
0: That makes sense. And now about the Basic Income Relief Program, talk to us about what that really looks like tangibly. We want to
6: provide a bare minimum something, cash resource that people can have access to. Um, but we're also leveling up everything else. We're talking about like access to housing, access to jobs. We actually believe that if Mm -hmm. we we do that right and we do that um, quickly enough, there won't be the need for anybody to get a monthly check because they'll have a stable roof over their heads. They'll have access to a job. They'll have access to quality education and healthcare. And so the rest of
0: that will take care of itself. Diane, what about critics that would say, giving out that minimum income in the interim while we do this systematic upheaval, um, it would maybe disincentivize some people from doing that heavy lifting to get uh, mm-hmm. totally not relying on that income. And, and even critics that say, why would there be a minimum basic income when we don't all work the same? Why should we be uh, accessing mm-hmm. the same amount of income?
6: The people who we called essential workers, the people who we applauded for mm-hmm. at seven o'clock at night all throughout the last summer, um, were are not just the, the sort of doctors and nurses. They were also the delivery mm-hmm. workers. They were also the glo- grocery mm-hmm. clerks. They were the train conductors. Um, they were the childcare workers. I would push back on any um, contention that, uh, that people are, you know, gonna like sit back and just take advantage of a couple of hundred bucks that they might get a month um, and not actually wanna work. People take a great amount of pride in their work. Um, And people have put their lives on the line for the rest of us over the course of the pandemic. So the least we can do is give them access to Mm -hmm. the resources that they need to live in dignity.
0: Got it. Okay, so you mentioned education earlier. In the early 2000s, yeah. you, of course, worked for the Department of Education. Give us a sense yeah. um, into into the capacity in which you experienced uh, the department and then and what you think of it now. And worth noting, of course, you have that Master's in Education uh, administration yeah. degree as well, which we know would be very useful uh, in your time as mayor. Yeah. And how would you plan to work with the newly uh, appointed Education Chancellor, uh, Ms. Uh, Misha right. uh, Porter, I believe her name, yeah. Nisha Porter, Yeah, Nisha Porter.
6: Um, so actually, so I worked at the Department of Education in the early 2000s, but I was also a teacher. Um, I was a classroom teacher um, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, I went into the Department of Education um, in the early 2000s with a lot of hope um, that was quickly kind of derailed by um, the sense that we were um, rearranging the chairs on the Titanic and actually um, causing harm to our communities, mm. and so... Um, I, you know, I, I, pivoted from that to working in the community, which I've done ever since then, you know, I, I'm, it's clear to me that our schools and our students are in crisis. Our children don't feel heard. They don't feel valued. They don't feel respected in the school system and they're not reflected in the community or the, the teaching staff. So we really need to transform those things so that our schools can become a place of healing.
0: Um, and a place that where our our kids feel loved. Uh, Diane, we, yeah. we also know that you have a lot of plans around police reform, a very hot topic yeah. in our nation and city. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about what, what your priorities around police reform would be and how you feel they could be implemented.
6: Sure. Um, so, you know, the, I've, I was the first candidate to call for defunding the police. Um, and I've called for defunding at the amount of $3 billion. That being said, mm-hmm. you know, I talk a lot about the need for our communities to reclaim and redefine the definition of public safety. And so I've called for the creation of a community first responders department that would Mm -hmm. be staffed with um, personnel that is trained um, and skilled in intervention and de-escalation, medics, social workers, mental health Mm -hmm. specialists um, that would intervene in those instances, but would also serve as part of a larger ecosystem of service providers so that they could connect Mm -hmm. to those people who are in crisis. So that's the direction that I think we need to be moving in
0: instead to, to really make our community safe. It looks like, Diane, New York is set to, uh, New York City in particular, <laughs> set to be the highest uh, local tax rate in the country. Not a lot of national headlines yep. about it. Uh, I'd love to know your thoughts. Yep. You know, New York City in
6: particular is the wealthiest city in the world. So, you know, it just makes sense mm-hmm. to me. To, I, I feel like these these comparisons and, and this sort of fear, you know, inducing or fear, fear-mongering rhetoric Um, is just that. We saw what happened on Wall Street. Um, We saw that New Mm -hmm. York City generate that, you know, it it led to New York generating more millionaires and billionaires during the pandemic. Um, And it seems to me like it's only fair that those folks um, put some more skin in the game because, you know, the recovery of our economy um, is in fact reliant on the conditions of some of our most vulnerable who, as I said earlier, we know kept the city operating in the, in the midst of the pandemic.
0: Um, where can people go to, uh, yeah, find out more uh, about your policies and your platform and your, uh, your plan for New York? Diane.nyc. D-I-A-N-N-E.nyc. Nice and simple.
6: Um, on social media, across the board, on um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, um, they can go, the handle is the okay. same, it's Diane. <laughs> yeah, my da- my da- my 20-year-old daughter has helped me with that. D-I-A-N-N-E, the number four, NYC.
0: All right, well, we gotta check you out on all those platforms. Diane Morales, thank you, sis, for your time and your vision for a better New York. Thanks. We appreciate you and we wish you the very best in this race. Thank you so much, it's been a pleasure to talking to you. Stay safe and well. All right, y'all, now this episode brought a whole lot to the surface we want to take this moment to spotlight a resource to make sure that you come away with even more information. To learn a lot more about the very important issue of anti-transgender discrimination, I want you to visit the site. Go to pointofpride.org, front slash, get hyphen support. Now on that site, you're gonna see a whole lot of black-centered resources and information, and you can click and find out even more. Listen, you're going to be very pleased to see just how endless these resources really are. And y'all know here at Revolt Black News, the information never stops. And neither should you. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams. See you next time.